Jesse Cook is magical. The way he makes a guitar rattle and burn is an impressive skill that can only be appreciated with your eyebrows up. Once I went to see him at the Montreal Jazz Festival with a friend who spied our future husband in the crowd. They're married now with a cute kid, doing their best to do that whole live happily ever after thing. See? Jesse Cook is magical. Yo, welcome and good greetings to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan, and while I do not have the rhythm to dance to Jesse Cook's music, I thankfully have the ears to deeply appreciate it. Jesse was all set to embark on Tempest 25, a spring tour celebrating 25 years since he released his debut album. Tempest was his attempt at making a musical career and life for himself. Instead, of course, due to the current pandemic, he is home, and that tour is on hold like much of our lives. Bet when he released that album 25 years ago, whatever he expected his life to be, he never saw this unfolding. So, he's working while he waits. This spacious conversation covers his globetrotting adventures, uh, McDonald's, Peter Gabriel, as well as the sonic discoveries once he started taking the unbeaten path and making what he terms is his weird music. Before we get into all of this, here's Tempest, his first single, nervously released to the world, re-recorded in his home 25 years later. Oh yo, you'll want to turn this up. This is magical.
just audio, so you don't have to wear pants. It's pretty simple. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm already in pants. I'm just just for the record. I want that out. That that's important information. Okay, we're getting to the dirt of the interview already. I haven't even asked the first that's question. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Jump right in. All right. Fire away. When can we expect uh, your collaboration with Britney Spears? Uh, apparently, she's, <laughs> she's a big fan. Is that uh, the word on the street? Uh, that well, I yeah, I don't know. I got all these uh, sort of text messages, or or uh, I guess they're Facebook messages from fans saying, you know, hey, Britney Spears is your fan, and I was like, what are they talking about? So I followed the link and I found this post she'd done, and, and it was a crazy thing because you know it, she you know she got a million likes or something on that post where she's sort of sitting there doing exercise on the beach to my music, but she <laughs> forgot to tag me. Thank you, Brittany. That would yeah. have been really helpful for us yeah. lesser known uh, artists. So, uh, but it was, you know, it was kind of fun. It was kind mm -hmm. of a surreal moment. So I guess now when you do talk about how cool your fans are and how appreciative and how amazing they are, you're including Brittany in this uh, fine group of people. <laughs> I, you know what? My fans are all over the map. It's trying to like trying to figure out what my demographic is has been a lifelong journey. I have no idea. Like it's so weird, and it, and it seems like you know there'll be like uh, grandparents and grandkids and everything in between at our shows, and and it depends on where we go. Like when we were in China, there wasn't one person in the audience over thirty the entire time. There were all all these sort of mostly young guys, you know, sort of guitar heads coming to the shows. Uh, Europe, it was also it skewed way younger. Uh, in the States, our crowd can be a little bit older because I guess we get a lot of uh, interest from PBS down there. And I guess the PBS audience is a little bit of an older crowd. Oh, yeah. So it really just depends where you go and how they hear about you, how they sort of end up finding about my uh, about my weird music. Um, but, you know, I'm, the fact is I'm just happy that anybody, you know, here's what we do it's hard in this world if you're yeah. not doing pop music it's hard to get the word out so I'm, I'm just happy when anybody finds out what we're doing yeah including britney spears <laughs> yes exactly with world music it's almost universal because i know you have like a broader kind of genre that you exist in but if growing up here in north america right we always aim rock and roll and rap music and pop music to young people right like pop music kind of goes to the teen girls a little bit yeah, for sure. And we kind of divide yeah. things demographically that way by age and stuff. But when you go out to countries like Spain or Egypt, mm -hmm. it's just music. They don't, there's no younger or yeah. older or anything. You know what I mean? And I wonder if that's part of what influences the crowd that show up to your shows. You know what? It's, it's funny. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, they certainly, they have pop music in other parts of the world, right? Everybody mm -hmm. listens to pop music and generally, you know, it's more young people listening to, to pop. But, but I also think like, you know, the, you know, older people grew up on their pop, on the pop music, you know, whatever. If you grew up on the, the Beatles or the Stones or Zeppelin or whatever it was, it was, you know, the pop music of your age. I sort of feel like to get into music like what I'm doing, you you have to be the kind of person who is a little bit comfortable kind of getting off the beaten path. You know what I mean? If like, you know, it first of all, there's no lyrics, there's no singing in half most of my songs. There's it's a lot of instrumental music. It's music where you know, I'm fusing together stuff from all over the world and you know people have to be ready to kind of go on a bit of a trip with us uh you know i always sort of joke that people when they come to the show i hope they bring their passports and get their <laughs> flu shots up to date you know what i mean we're, yeah we're gonna take a trip so um you know it, it is it's a it's a strange kind of music and, and the other thing as i said before you know there's a year early in my career i had a, a song on, on uh, sort of pop radio uh, i did a cover of a, a crowded house song called follow your feet which went up to number two in canada um on the pop charts which was really exciting 
but other than that, I mean, that's that was a real exception in my career. Most of my music is not at all the kind of thing you could play on pop radio. And um, so it's really, you know, it's a weird thing. You get people who, on the one hand, you know, there are way less people who hear about me. But on the other hand, the fans I have are incredibly dedicated because they don't hear you everywhere. You know, like there's some bands where you're on the radio all the time. And if you stop being on the radio, they forget about you. Whereas with my crowds, they they never heard me everywhere. They always had to kind of find me, hunt me down. You know, we get people flying in from all over the world to go to concerts. We'll be doing a tour of the States. We'll be in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa or something. And we'll get people from mm -hmm. Germany in the crowd, you know, or yeah. we flew in from China, you know, like, <laughs> really? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. On any given night, there'll be like 30% of our audience will have driven five hours or something to see us. Uh, so it's, it, you know, it's nice. It's nice to have dedicated fans for sure. And I kind of feel like it's, it's part and parcel of being off the beaten path. Does the, does this group of fans that come from all over the place, especially in places like Des Moines, Iowa, does, do they bring different sounds with them to you as well? So then as you make your music and give it back to them, they kind of give you new sounds and new rhythms and they kind of give it back to you? Um, sometimes. I mean, it's funny because I, I feel like, you know, it's hard to find a place in the world where you don't get to hear as many sounds as you do right here in Canada. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's hard, you're not you're not going to go to Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, and find as many different types of music as mm -hmm. you can just growing up in Toronto. Like Toronto, yeah. you know, is this incredible multicultural city. Uh, it's our big claim to fame. I mean, I have to admit, when I was uh, a kid in the '70s growing up in Toronto, it was a bit boring. You know, it was not nearly as exciting as it has become. And, and it's immigration, really, that has kind of made this city exciting to be in. It's, it's you know, it's got something that's really unique. It's not just that we have five Chinatowns and a huge, you know, sort of Greek town and several little Italy's and all of that. It's not just that. It's that we've got huge communities and just about any group, like whatever you're interested in. If you're interested in South Asian music, you know, there's 500,000 people from South Asia living here. You know, yeah. if you're interested in like, the, you know, largest Asian city in the world outside of Asia, that's the fourth largest Greek city in the world, including cities in Greece, you know, so whatever you're into there's, if you're into Brazilian rhythms, there's not just one samba school. There's like five or six different ones. You can take your pick. It's, it's fantastic. You know, for someone like me who does global fusion, it's, it's like the great, the, the place to be. So I love it here. Picking up in that thread of like global fusion, has this recent like stay at home experience during this pandemic, has it been difficult for a guy who put out an album called Nomad? <laughs> That's actually a good question. I never thought of it that way. Um, oddly enough, uh, and I, I say this, but I, I realized several of my artist friends who I, you know, have been talk, keeping in touch with are saying very similar things, which is for musicians being at home all day, is not unfamiliar to us you know when we're not out touring we're sitting at home you know and i all these records that i've made you know 10 studio albums and i don't know how many uh concert specials like all that stuff i do at home you know i kind of i lock myself up in the studio for months on end and i make records and so kind of spending the day around the house is totally comfortable for me and it was, yeah, losing, you know, having all those tours suddenly being postponed to, you know, we're not even sure when. Uh, initially, we postponed the tours to the fall, mm -hmm. um, but now we're not even sure if the fall is, if we're going to be able to have concerts. So, you know, we're kind of in this limbo. But in the meantime, I'm 
uh, you know, I'm just kind of getting back into doing what I do that other part of my life when I'm not touring, which is, you know, making new music and, you know, being in the studio. The, the, the lovely part of it has been uh, that my kids have been staying home too because, you know, they have homeschooling them and I've been getting to spend a lot more time with them, which has been great because, you know, they're, my kids are kind of in the early teens and I'm starting to realize they're not going to be around for the rest of my life. You know, they're, they're going to be gone soon and, and I'm not sure how many more chances like this I'm going to get to spend as much time with them. So I'm, I've been really loving that. Yeah, and in terms of you getting, like, back into like some of the creativity you recently put out a call to action on facebook where you sang a melody and you asked people to record uh like 30 seconds i think it was on your on their cell phone in front of nature basically yeah, yeah. are you starting to get some of those videos back from people who oh, have oh my god i this is on friday this is just this friday i i uh I thought, oh, let me just see how this goes. I had written a song and I had this part that was kind of sung and I I sang it. I overdubbed a bunch of tracks and, and I got my daughter to sing on it. And I was like, wow, this is great. It'd be great if we could get more people, you know, and I'm thinking, what artists do I know in different parts of the world that I could get to sing on this? And, and then I kind of went, what am I doing? Like, I should just ask my fans, you know, why does it have to be an artist? It could be anybody. And so I just thought, well, let's see what happens. So I sang this thing and I put it on Facebook and my inbox just went crazy. I've been, in fact, just before you called, I, I for the last three days, I've been editing, uh, taking these, I haven't even got to editing. I'm taking these videos and just downloading them and trying to catalog them so I know, you know, what countries they're from. People are, have, you know, I've got videos from China and Bangladesh and South Africa and Switzerland and uh, Greece, I, I, everywhere, I'm, the United States and Canada, of course. But it's been kind of amazing. I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, overwhelmed by, first of all, you know, people's generosity, but also how fearless they are. Like I sort of realized, you know, a lot of these people are clearly not singers. You know, they're probably people who don't even sing in a group or a choir or anything. They're just, and it, to kind of put themselves out there and videotape themselves singing, record the audio and send it off, not knowing what's going to happen. That takes a huge amount of courage. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I will try my best not to let anybody feel embarrassed, but I, th I think it's going to sound amazing. If not, it's just the concept alone of trying to get all these voices together. The difficulty is that, you know, I, perhaps I didn't give uh, clear enough instructions because a lot of people just sang the melody on their own without, you know, using my voice as a guide so they're singing it in a different key in a different time oh <laughs> and yeah so, and then other people made up lyrics to the song and, yeah you know changed it and so it's you know trying to make <laughs> that all become one big choir is going to be i got i got my work cut out for me yeah i might have to use auto-tune or do a remix or something after like put out the original <laughs> song there's going to be a lot of yes uh, creative editing happening for sure We've already kind of touched upon this uh, as we've talked but like you clearly have a passion for the world and all these different cultures and different countries do you feel that this pandemic, because it's so worldwide and it's affected so many different lives in so many different cities and countries, do you feel that it's made the world smaller? Is smaller the right word? Well, I, uh, it's funny. I feel like my whole life the world has been getting smaller. I mean, in terms of travel time and communication, the world is smaller today than France was 200 years ago. Do you know what I mean? That it, you can go anywhere and be any, and see anything, and and every it seems like every year that gets smaller and smaller. You know, I now growing up. We never saw, you know, unless you were part of some kind of, you know, sort of elite group that went to see foreign films with subtitles, you know, you, <laughs> most people never saw other people's cultures, you know, especially if you're in an English speaking country, if you're, yeah, if you're in, growing up in some other part of the world, you got to see American movies because American movies went everywhere. But 
you know, and living in Canada, we wouldn't see Iranian films or, or mm. Chinese films or whatever. Whereas I sort of feel like, you know, my kids are nuts about, uh, you know, Japanese anime and K-pop. You know, they, if you watch Netflix now, we're getting to see films from all over the world. You know, yeah. they're just television, like regular television shows. I just finished watching a TV series from Turkey. And before that, it was, you know, something from Denmark. And I just was like, wow, this is amazing. The world really, and, and I kind of feel like that's a good thing because I, I do feel like it's easy when we get kind of wrapped up in our own little world to start feeling a sense of fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, people in other cultures. And, you know, I grew up in the Cold War and I know how crazy that whole fear of the unknown can become. Us and them as well. Yeah, exactly. So I just sort of feel like the more we realize, like, like I was in Saudi Arabia uh, about a year and a half ago, I played the first ever jazz festival. And it might be actually the last jazz festival yeah. in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you shut it down. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's another story. But anyway, I remember I had never been to Saudi Arabia before that. And I remember we're driving uh, along, you know, on the highway to somewhere. And and we stop and there's like a Tim Hortons on, on at the <laughs> yes. gas station on the highway yeah. and there's a McDonald's next to it and everybody's in there having their happy meals and, you know, dressed like they're from Saudi Arabia, but living lives that are pretty much the same as what we are doing at home. And you, and you realize, you know, all of these preconceived notions that we had were completely shattered in that moment, right? Like it's just not, you know, we are way more similar than we realize, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, I do find that the more we know about each other, the more we will recognize each other's shared humanity and stop being so crazy about all that stuff. Yeah. Well, this idea of like shared humanity and all of us eating the same McDonald's, basically, I have uh, <laughs> a friend of mine who's, uh, this should be like, so part of the, should influence the new album, I think, right? <laughs> I hate to think that McDonald's is a thing that's uniting us. That's really not what I'm hoping to say, but <laughs> it did seem to come out that way. I apologize. No, Go ahead. It was a happy meal, though, right? That's the whole point. We're all happy. So. <laughs> Until afterwards. Yes. Until the indigestion set in. Yeah, yes. Go ahead. Um, but I have a friend who's a famous comedian, and when he travels the world, he's performed in places like Saudi Arabia and Vietnam and India and China and places like that. To prepare for his shows... He kind of does this, I guess, for lack of a better term, anthropological study, and he'll visit the shopping malls and he'll just wander the shopping malls for a little bit just to see what the fashion is at and how people are yeah. interacting, hear some of the music yeah. in some of the stores, that kind yeah. of thing. And it's kind of a way from to kind of like quickly download some of the culture a little bit, you know? Do yeah. you do the same thing too when you travel and you, is there certain specific spots that you go to or places that you go to kind of see what the, what the vibe is, the community vibe is? Um, uh, well, it sounds like he's very sort of uh, methodical about it. I, I'm certainly not like that. I, you know, I just kind of show up somewhere and wander around. Well, hopefully something close to the hotel is interesting. Um, but yeah, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I end up kind of heading for the downtown center of the city anywhere I go. Because there's always that area and wherever it is, Shanghai or, or Vienna or whatever, there's that sort of big sort of central shopping area that everybody packs in it and <laughs> yeah. in some ways it's kind of sad that you're in shanghai and you're looking around you're going oh yeah h&m <laughs> you know and uh well you know whatever all the sort of big store chains and you sort of feel like in the old days when i was a kid and we traveled you know you'd get to paris and it wouldn't be all the same store you, you wouldn't see you know eaton's and simpson's in the bay and all that you would see the french ones you'd see uh, Franton and all these other stores where i do nowadays i find wherever you go 
it feels, yeah, like the, 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 the sort of international language is, is kind of multinational corporations, you know what I mean? And they're all moving in, they're all selling the same products, we're all buying the same stuff. And, and as such, it becomes a kind of common language, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we all have the same phones. And what was interesting for me actually was when I got to China, though, how it is, it's kind of its own ecosystem, you know, that, you know, they have Alibaba and Baidu, and you can't access the internet, you know, without finding some sneaky VPN system. And, <laughs> yes. and uh, you, you end up realizing that, you know, being its own ecosystem, there's, first of all, I couldn't pay for anything because they, very few people wanted, would accept cash or even credit card. They thought credit cards were ancient history. They didn't know why I was walking around with credit cards. Everybody pays with their phone. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing like the system we use. It, in fact, it's, it seems much more secure. It's a thing where everybody just has this sort of barcode thing. You wave your phone in front of the barcode and your phone, you, you tap in the amount of money in your bank account, sends that money to that barcode's account, as opposed to that, you know, them taking the money out of your account. You're the one sort of doing the action. Yeah. So you, you know, there'll be a guy like on the street begging and he'll have a little barcode <laughs> and you go up and you swing your phone by and you give him some money. And then fortunately, you know, as I wasn't Chinese, uh, I didn't have a, a Chinese bank account or an Alipay system or any mm -hmm. of that stuff. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't even buy a Starbucks coffee. Like I was, uh, I was a desperate man the whole time I was there. <laughs> I, was, I was begging for coffee everywhere yeah. I went. I, I needed one of those barcodes. Yeah. Even to like busk or something, just to raise a few bucks for the coffee. <laughs> exactly, yeah. they, but I, they couldn't pay. They couldn't give me any money. It yeah. was kind of was a crazy thing. But yeah, uh, many years ago, I was in Kenya. I got to travel to a number of different villages and remote villages. And as you kind of go into these places, it's it's surreal because you can get a bottle of Coke or a can of Coke almost everywhere you go. Yes, you know what I mean. And you would figure like, yeah. oh, we're like at the end of the world here. There's like not. But sure yeah. enough, you'd go into some remote village. There's only like maybe a hundred people or a couple hundred people live there, and there's like a little canteen yeah. in the corner selling coke. Yes, exactly. And and unfortunately, I, you know, I don't want to bash multinational corporations, but they're not in the interest of worrying about public health. It's not their mandate, right? They're mm -hmm. just there to sell you coke. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when they have that much selling power, that you know, they, I think at some point, Coca-Cola decided that they wanted what was it was it two-thirds of all the liquid consumed on the planet to be coke, a coke product whether mm -hmm. it's you know you uh, fruitopia or any of those things that they produce right all those different ranges of drinks but yeah uh you, you it, that starts to become an issue right like I, I don't know why that i find that disquieting but but there we go it just seems to me like you know at the end of the day they're really just wanting to make money and and i always sort of feel like Whenever people get too excited about like saying, oh, we don't need government, let the free market take care of itself, I sort of go, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I think somebody <laughs> needs to make sure that we're not going to be drinking Coke for breakfast. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't go that well with Frosted Flakes. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of like touring and kind of getting out and seeing the world, though, the, the Tempest 25 tour, that was postponed. And like you said, you may not even be able to make up the dates in the fall now. But in general, when you were planning that tour, was that considered to be like a love letter or a thank you letter to your fans? Actually, that's a that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, it it was um it want we wanted a celebration, right? It had been 25 years since I released Tempest independently, and so it's been 25 years of making records and touring around the world, and you know, sort of developing this, as I said, this kind of fan base of people who you know had worked hard to find me, and I wanted to kind of go out there and tour and thank them, as you say, and. 
um, it was going to start with the Canadian portion of the Tempest 25 tour, which would be 25 tour, 25 shows celebrating 25 years. And we, at the end of it, we were going to play five shows, uh, five nights in Montreal at the Montreal Jazz Festival, and we were going to film it. And then it was that was going to be a PBS special, which we would then go and tour in the United States as the American portion of the Tempest 25 tour supporting the PBS special. So it was like this big, big plan. And I remember two weeks before we left, uh, we were, or before we were supposed to leave on, on the Canadian tour, we were off in in Vienna, in Austria, and we were just finishing that tour. Uh, we're sitting in a hotel lobby and we're looking at the news going, my God, I wonder if this, at that time it was still really mostly in China. Mm -hmm. Very few cases had come to Canada. And we're like, I wonder if this is going to affect our tour. And, you know, I remember people at that time were still sort of saying, no, it's never, you know, because I guess we were still remembering SARS and how SARS, you know, was re relatively contained, right? Mm -hmm. it, it sort of affected Toronto more than most places, but it, it never became this huge pandemic. Anyway, two weeks later, exactly to, to the date, uh, the tour was canceled. And then we realized it's not just the Canadian portion. That means, you know, the tours in the fall and the tour of California in the summer and the PBS special won't be done. Like we just, everything sort of suddenly became put on hold and um and uh, you know it, it was this kind of awful surreal moment where you, you realize we don't we really don't know none of there's no precedent for any of us for this you know the world and then and then it, it stopped being about us it, the whole world was going through it everybody's was kind of worrying about their jobs and you know and how they were going to eat and and i kind of i have to say i'm very happy about you know so far the canadian government's reaction to this has been great you know, most of my friends are musicians, and uh, this whole CR CRB thing has been fantastic and simple and easy to access. And you know, some you know my friends are all able to eat and pay their rent, and that's been great. Um, but you know, in terms of the future of the music industry and and giving concerts and all that, you know, we I don't really know. None of us do. At this yeah, point. it is going to be interesting. I think there's two challenges. The first is when you as musicians can go back and actually start performing but then the flip yeah. side of it is i don't know if people will feel comfortable going for a little while do you know what i mean yeah oh i totally know what you so, mean i think there's there has been discussions saying that um you know until there's actually a vaccine that maybe big concerts and sporting events and you know all those just those things that bring people together in large numbers are not going to be able to happen until there's an actually a vaccine you know, we can't do that. I, again, we don't know. We're still in yeah. the earlier part of this. Um, you know, at, at some point, I suppose, you know, there will be more people who've had it who haven't. And, and hopefully uh, then it, the spread will slow way down because, you know, people will be immune to it or we hope. But um, who knows? It's it's a big question mark. Well, going full circle back to the tour and to this idea of a big question mark. You were reluctant to kind of put out Tempest, uh, the album, 25 years ago, and that's partly why you're doing this tour now. Like, did a plan eventually form now? Like, once you put this album out and it starts to gain momentum and you start going on tours and stuff, like, is goals the right word or, like, a direction, basically, of how your career went? Like, or are you just kind of now just still making it up as you go along? So you put out the album, <laughs> PBS calls you, all right, let's do a special or two, why not? And you know what I mean? Are you just kind of just wandering around? And just kind of bumping into stuff, <laughs> opportunities. Well, 
uh, I'd like to think it's all my grand plan, but uh, I'm sure that it, there's a certain amount of wandering around and bumping and things that happens too. I, I think, um, you know, anytime as an artist, if you're, if you are doing real work, that means you're trying things that haven't been done before. Um, and you certainly don't know if people are going to like it, you know, if it's going to become successful, if you're going to have a career after the next record, uh, you know, people, there are a lot of one hit wonders out there. And, you know, the fact that 25 years later, I'm still able to do this. In fact, we're touring more than I ever have. And I'm, you know, touring more and more countries than I ever have. I sort of feel like that's amazing. That is certainly, uh, against the odds. I, I got really lucky. I feel like I've kind of won the lottery in that regard. You know, I've never had that kind of massive success. We talked about Britney Spears. I mean, I've never had that kind of pop success on that level. And, and I'm actually pretty pretty happy about that. I can still walk down the street and, you know, <laughs> buy milk at the corner store and nobody yeah. bugs me, you know. But then I can also play the Massey Hall of every city in, in, in Canada, in fact, almost in North America. And, I, you know, I, I feel like that's a pretty good situation. Like, I, if I could play the Massey Hall or the whatever, the... Uh, um, sort of the big concert hall of every city in the world, I would be, you know, I'd die happy. That, that would be like, you know, that's that's the dream. You were 22, right, when you put out Tempest? No, actually I was 30. I was quite 30, old 30. for this to start a career, yeah. So when you look at that, that, that 30-year-old Jesse Cook with the long hair and everything and putting that album out, <laughs> would uh -huh. you now as an elder statesman, what do you say to that Jesse Cook, like... Because he was all nervous and he wasn't sure if this would work. You know what I mean? So now that you've had some success and you can still go to the grocery store and buy milk peacefully and you've also toured, like, what do you say to that younger Jesse Cook? Um, it's funny. You know what? I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't change things. I, I sort of feel like it, it was a great ride. Uh, you know, I worked really hard the whole time. I, I, I just kept trying to do good work and, you know, uh, I, you know, at the, in the early days, my influences, I think were much more obvious that you, there was an, an influence of Peter Gabriel. There was an influence of, uh, the gypsy Kings. I think all of that was much more clear in my work as new records came out. I, you could see that I started becoming more and more, um, you know, inquisitive and trying things out on my own and doing things, sounds I'd never heard before or trying fusions I'd never heard before. Um, and, and I, 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 I feel pretty proud about it. I, I don't, there's nothing really I regret. There's nothing I, I, I um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I sort of think nobody, when you become an artist, you don't do it because you're trying to, you know, uh, have a stable job <laughs> You mm -hmm. do it because you, because you want to, you know, you want to make music and give concerts and, do your thing, do this thing that you love and are passionate about. And, and that's what I got to do for 25 years. And I feel pretty good about that. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And one, you've been releasing a number of home videos and we'll get to them in a second, but there is in the corner of them, uh, there's a car. I think it's a, maybe a card or a plaque of some kind. It says, this is your world, shape it or someone else will. Oh my God. People, you can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. It was in the corner there. <laughs> oh man. I got to put those in. So, yeah, when I'm mixing, so that's my, I've made all my records at home. I, there's a couple of records there where I had a few people mix it outside, uh, but most of the records I've mixed at home, most of the PBS specials I've mixed at home. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've made all my own music videos. The last PBS special, I, I directed it and edited it myself. And uh, so it's just, it's, I, you know, I love doing the stuff and I, I love doing it, working at home. Mm-hmm. 
And when you spend that much time by yourself working, sometimes you can lose the thread and, or you can also, you can become timid. You can kind of get to the point where you, you sort of go, well, and not just because you're working alone, but also I find like if you're in the music industry, the music industry, as, as great as it is, there is this kind of, um, uh, conservatism, you know, that I find the music industry is always chasing after whatever the last big thing is, you know, mm -hmm. Adele comes out, suddenly they're signing all these artists who sound like Adele, you know, or, uh, whoever, you know, whatever the, the thing is right now, or I bet in the next few years, we're gonna have all sorts of people who sound like Billie Eilish, or, you know, the last few years, my God, how many singers suddenly start sounding like Rihanna, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I feel like that, whatever was the big hit, everybody wants more of that. And and if you're an artist who's not doing that, it's easy to kind of want to lean towards that or, you know, then I, I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, got calls from record executives saying, you know, we, uh, this smooth jazz thing is doing mm -hmm. really well in the States. We'd like you to do a smooth jazz album. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, that's great. I'm glad that it's doing well, but it's not, it doesn't really interest me. It's not my thing. And I don't you know, I don't feel drawn to do that. Or we think you should do a Christmas album. It's like, well, <laughs> I, I get it. They sell well and they sell every year and all that. But that's really not, you know, unless I suddenly discover this treasure trove of beautiful old Mexican sort of Christmas songs that I would really feel I need to record, I don't actually want to do that. I certainly don't want to do it because it's a good, you know, it's something we can cash in on. I sort of feel like, you know, that's the opposite of what interests me in music. And And so... You know, I'm one day I was in a store and I saw these two cards and I just kind of thought, you know, there's something about that where you you have to you have to kind of rely on your own, you know, you gotta follow your own muse. You have to chase your own dreams and 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 you kinda sometimes you need reminding. You know, if you're in the studio and you're gonna do something, you suddenly find yourself about to make a, a sort of safe choice. It's like, no, you know what? Do the thing you like. It doesn't matter if maybe it's only you that's going to like it. Maybe everybody else is going to go, oh, I don't like that, you know. But you've got to chase it. You got to if it's if it's working for you, that's the choice to make. I sort of feel like there's artists need to remember that we that we have to have a certain level of emotional honesty that we've got to keep trying to find, striving for, you know. And 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 that's what makes art it's sort of real otherwise you know what is it if it doesn't if it's not you know if it's not your story you're telling then whose is it do you know what i mean does that make sense yeah you were talking earlier when i asked you about the uh, open call and having people send you in like melodies that they recorded out in nature and you were talking about how they were very brave and very vulnerable to be able to do that and i think sometimes too even though smooth jazz is doing well or christmas albums are doing well for you to kind of follow your own road and chart your own path, um, there is a little bit of a bravery to that. And that kind of makes the more, that makes the music more refreshing in a way because it's like, it's authentic. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I hope so. I hope that when people hear my music, they go, I, it feels real. It feels like this is something that this guy really cares about, you know, um, because at the end of the day, the only barometer I have is my own. I can't guess what other people are going to like. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I, I only know what gets the hair standing up on the back of my neck. And so I, you know, I have to follow that. And, uh, and, and it, I think it's difficult because around me, there's always people who work in an industry and they're like, oh, look at this. This is doing really well. And you sort of go, I know. It's great. It's great <laughs> that, that whatever that thing is, is doing well. But ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm not that. I'm, I'm me. This is what I'm doing. 
And one of the things you're currently doing uh, or have done is really neat. You, you re-recorded the Tempest song. Like I was asking you before as an elder statesman, a uh, song that you <laughs> worked on years and years I'm ago. I'm trying to get comfortable with that phrase, by the way, but go ahead. Yes. Well, how would, you want to, yes. how would you want me to phrase it? Like, uh, uh, it's yeah. okay. I'm stroking my long beard as you say it. All right. Uh, that's fair then. There you go. Pull out my monocle. <laughs> there you go. See? It works. Um, and when in the post for Facebook, when you posted it, you said part of the reason for you to re-record it was that you asked yourself, have I changed as, as a musician or as a producer? So what is your answer? Mm-hmm. Have you, now that you've re-recorded this song and you put this video out, like, what was your answer to that question? Well, I, I do feel a bit like, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years. I certainly, it was a lot easier this time around than it was the first time. And I do feel that there's a certain energy in the track in this version, the new version, that the original version didn't have. And I think there, I think there's a number of reasons for that, um, not the least of which is, you know, my first album I recorded at home and I really, I had one microphone and you know, like a one compressor and a little tiny bad mixer. And, you know, I worked with what I had and I sort of feel like it, it's surprising how well it does stand up considering what I was working with. Whereas, you know, since then, uh, you know, now the amount of gear, I, I, at one point I had a full blown huge studio that full of gear, but eventually I, I just had to kind of store it all in the basement because I didn't need it. And nowadays everything's in the computer. The computers are amazing what they can do. It's like, you know, everybody has the power of, you know, what would have been an insanely great studio 30 mm-hmm. years ago. You can have for 500 bucks if you want to download it. Um, so yeah, having those tools at my disposal when I sort of started working on this version certainly made it easier. Uh, but also this time out realizing you don't, I don't have to do as much. I think there was a period because in the early days I only had a few tracks to work with. I always wished I had more. I loved Peter Gabriel and he had big studios and I always thought, oh, if I had more tracks, I could sound like Peter Gabriel. And then eventually it got to the point where I did have, you know, hundreds of tracks if I wanted them. Uh, and then once you kind of get that out of your system, you start realizing, yeah, but at the end of the day, sometimes just having a few good parts that really work well together is all you need to do to have a track really kind of have that pulse, have that energy. Um, and I think with this version of Tempest, it was easy just to kind of go make it simple, keep it simple, and it's going to be great. So as we're wrapping up, uh, you just released Hey, uh, which is your first uh, single off this new partnership between your new label, Coach House, and a Canadian label, Outside Music. What can we expect more from Coach House in the next little while? I know that there's a pandemic going on, but after that, it's kind of all over. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I think I'm switching more to, uh, you know, up till now, I've done 10 studio albums in 25 years. Uh, I'm switching more to kind of a singles model. I think the world has really changed. Um, and I'm just going to start putting out singles and maybe it'll be kind of more like the 50s and 60s where you'd have enough singles together and then maybe you'd cobble them together and make an album out of it um so i i think that's what we're going to try we're, i'm going to uh certainly be producing music during the pandemic and and releasing it independently and uh and then uh you know if whether that turns into a cd i don't know i'd, I'd like to try and make a video myself for each one of these things as i put them out um so that's a different process too you know in the past i'd never did a video for every song I produced that would have, you know, taken forever. But now it's, you know, we have the ability. I have the ability to make these things at home. I have the ability to make the videos. 
So why not give it a try? See what happens. Yeah, for the Tempest uh, video that you posted on Facebook, you have even drone shots in it. Oh yeah, a few years ago, I uh, I went down and shot a video in Colombia. A friend of mine was from Colombia. He said, "Let's, uh, you know, we'd written a song together, he and I, and he said we should make a video in Colombia." So just the two of us flew down, and, and I bought a drone for that because I just sort of thought, wouldn't it be fun to do drones? And I remember at the time <laughs> feeling like this is a, this is a real extravagance, and is this absolutely necessary? And oh my God, once you start doing drone shots in your videos, mm -hmm. it's so exciting. And then, you know, then I took the drone to China. I took it to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I've flown in all sorts of places where I kept thinking, am I going to get arrested? Is this yeah. all right? <laughs> uh, I, I got to say the drone is super fun. They, they, and they look so good and they're so tiny. It's kind of amazing. Are you thinking now visually as well when you're making your music as much as you are like musically, I guess, for lack of a better term? So you're thinking both parallel I, tracks? I, I think so. Well, it depends. Uh, every every song is different, but yeah, certainly the song I'm working on, where people have been sending in their singing from all over the world. Immediately, you're seeing it. You know, I'm getting these videos. You know, where people are in wherever they are, and they're in South Africa or something. You kind of go, "Oh my God, mm -hmm. this is fantastic!" So you you immediately start thinking about the video. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I for some of these, I I certainly am. So last question, but it's uh, an important question. Let's pretend I have a time machine and I could lend it to you. Who would you go back in time to see play live? You can go back and see anybody. Oh, my God. Um, told you this was an important question. <laughs> I know. You know what? Oh, there's so many. I mean, my biggest influences uh, were, as I said, Peter Gabriel. And I got to see him live. And that was, that was terrific. I actually got to see... Paco de Lucia, John McLaughlin, and Aldo Miola play live, but it was later. These are sort of three amazing guitarists who mm -hmm. did an album called Friday Night in San Francisco. And I saw them kind of regroup to do it again, but I didn't see the original, the, the, uh, the concert that they did in San Francisco and back in the 70s, whenever that was. And uh, that album was so important for me as a young guitar student. I would have loved to have been there that night and actually see those guys play those solos because I remember just the years I sat trying to lift those solos and figure out what they did mm -hmm. and how they did it and how they played so fast just to actually have seen it live would have been amazing. Did you end up going to see the Pedro Gabriel tour? I forgot. What, I'm drawing a blank on what name of the tour was, but it was when he was in that giant, like kind of styrofoam ball. <laughs> no, no, okay. I didn't. I could, I'm trying I, to remember the name of the tour. I'll have to like email you or message you uh, for that tour. But yeah, he was phenomenal. I've only seen him live once, but it was jaw dropping. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, no, he he is a is a remarkable remarkable artist. I mean, I I went and visited uh, Real World Studios at one point. That's in just Bath? because I could. So, yeah, in Bath, England. Bath, exactly. England. And yeah. I uh, I I it was one of those things where I was in England and I was recording. I think at uh, Elvis Costello Studio, and at the, it was a time when the music industry was still this big thing, and you know. I pulled some strings and I got an in mm. to go and just hang out at real world studios. And I, you know, it was kind of, it was like going to Mecca for me. You know what I mean? It was like, Oh my God, here I am in this sort of sacred recording studio, this thing that I've admired my entire life, this artist I hold so uh, in such high esteem. So yeah, it was, it was kind of amazing. And like he, you know, there's the big studio, which is on the main floor, but then there's a, a, a really sort of creative studio up on the, in the attic where, Peter makes his own records, and then there's a, the, the cottage, which is up the hill from the big A room, and, and you know, they, both of those actually had little tiny Oxford consoles, and 
you could see all these instruments like Tony Levin's bass sitting around, mm -hmm. you know, all these things that you're just kind of like, wow, this is really exciting. That's neat. Yeah, he he needs to kind of come back a little bit more and like kind of be a little bit more prominent. We've kind of unfortunately forgot about him. I think it's that. I also think he's he's an incredible perfectionist, and I think you know people I know who worked with him say he'll work on things for years and years, and he just won't let them go until they're absolutely perfect. And then by the time they're perfect, he'll kind of poke his head out of the rabbit hole and look around and realize that the world has changed since he started the track yes. or years earlier. And he's like, oh, this this isn't relevant anymore. Let me start something new. You know. So I sort of feel like part of it is him he's just an incredible perfectionist which is why his stuff's so great mm -hmm. but it, it certainly made him way less productive that's for sure yeah well you are uh thankfully still productive and still uh, working <laughs> and you. uh even though you're working from home you're still releasing some really cool videos and we can look forward to the uh what's the name of the open call song that we can look forward to does it have a name yet the one uh, it's on the working title is blue skies and uh i don't I don't know. I'm, I, I'm hoping to get it out within the next couple of weeks, so uh, it should be available soon. Okay. And where can people find you online in terms of um, social media, just in case then the, there's tour announcements and things like that as things I, get rescheduled? I think if you type in my name, type my name into Google and you'll get my Facebook page, my Instagram, my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. It's all, I think my Instagram is Musician Jesse Cook. My Facebook is just Jesse Cook, and as is my, uh, my YouTube channel. But that's where I do all my postings. I even have a uh, Twitter, but... I, to be perfectly honest, I don't tweet much. I, I'll tag or I'll link, you know, a Facebook post or something to Twitter, but I'm not I'm not a great tweeter. So okay. there it well, is. Well, that's it. And so we've covered uh, we covered a lot. We covered uh, McDonald's is universal and happy meals are good. <laughs> we covered uh, you kind of frowning on the phrase elder statesman. Uh, is tw 25 years old and uh, you like getting off the beaten path and following your own creative muse. So, wow, that's great. You really kind of summarize the entire conversation. You know, we don't even need to run the interview now. You just say that part and, and we're yeah, good. Yeah, he's a cool dude. <laughs> he's seen McDonald's all around the world, basically. That's it. Like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, all right. Very good. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you, Jesse, for this time. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Short version of Notes and Noteworthy. It turns out I am old. <laughs> I guess that's the first note. I, I don't know why nobody told me this. The Peter Gabriel tour I was talking about with Jesse, that was 2002, the Still Growing Up tour. I did not realize it was that long ago. It only felt like a couple of years ago. So, I'm old. The Blind Boys of Alabama opened for that show, so that was like two fantastic performances all around. This episode of My Summer Lair opened with Jesse Cook's recent Tempest remake, and it will close with Jesse's latest single, Hey! My name is Sam Yunin. If you want to say hey, I am at my pal Sammy for Twitter, my pal Sammy for IG, and my pal Sammy for Facebook. All three are my pal Sammy. Thank you so much, Jesse Cook, for sitting down with me and most importantly for sharing your music. I've been around for most of your 25 years and hopefully will be around for your next 25. And thank you so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. Jesse Cook, yo.